Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And once again, we have a great privilege of having my good friend, evangelist David Sumberdorf, come up and open up the Word of God. We've introduced you to him this morning, and he's been a great blessing. Of course, some of you have heard him the last time around he's come. And we're very thankful, Lord, for the influence that he's had in my life and glad that we get to share him with you. And we're looking forward to him trying to be in a blessing to us through God's open word once again. So thank you so much, preacher. Thank you, Dr. Scotty. And good evening, church family. Good to see you this evening, not only here, but I would imagine online as well. And before I go any further, I do need to just... uh, Thank you on behalf of Deb and I for a wonderful time already. Appreciate your hospitality when I had a a very uh, wonderful meal with your family, uh, your pastor and his family. Uh, We were habla espanol, a little uh, Mexican food, and we enjoyed that. That was a blessing, one of your restaurants just around the corner. And uh, so we want to say thank you for your hospitality. And then second of all, I want to make sure everybody has the handout for tonight. Now, just if you need a handout for tonight and or an ink pen, just raise your hand real quickly. If you're doing that at home, sorry, we can't make it there to get that to you. But uh, we do want to be sure to get that to those in the auditorium tonight. I want to remind you, bring that same outline back on Tuesday evening. This second thought I have Uh, I have recently broken into two thoughts. There's just so much to cover in the aspect of being a servant and fellow laborer. And so uh, be sure to bring that back Tuesday night. Tomorrow night will be a standalone message. We have a lot of young people heading our way. And uh, y'all look young to me, all right? So you'll be here tomorrow night as well. I have a message that will be a real help to your heart. It'll be a very challenging thought. Uh, Though it's intended for teens, it's for every single one of us. It's right where we live. It'll affect every one of us. You come back tomorrow night to be a part of our teen rally, and then be sure to bring that outline back Tuesday night. And one more thing I want to mention. My wife is now an author, all right? She has published a book called Becoming a Glorious Daughter of the King. This is a ladies' study a uh, study, a Bible study, as well as uh, worksheets and things. This has been a very challenging book to ladies. We have, we shouldn't have been, I shouldn't have been surprised, but I've been surprised by the response. Some folk in the last uh, few months have picked it up, and then they've called back, said, we want 10 more, we want 15 more, we want three to give to our daughters, and so on. It struck a real nerve and chord and is, is really being a help out there. So from a lady who raised six children, She also helped raise one husband, all on the road in a 325-square-foot home on wheels, and now a grandmother of 11. There is an incredible wealth of information, practical information and practical help for practical living on how you, as a lady, can become a glorious daughter of the king. All right, so I think Deb's already gifted you, Miss Leah. Is that right? And uh, did she sign it? Okay, that's good. She likes to do that. But ladies, if you would like a copy, see my wife afterwards, and uh, she'll make those available. 
All right, take your Bibles. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We've been looking at a very obscure individual by the name of Epaphroditus. And this individual was the individual responsible for Paul's contributions while he was in Rome under house arrest. Therefore, Paul's life literally hung in the balance based on the faithfulness of this man. And as I scour scripture, I found this this is the only individual who receives three incredible titles, and all three given by the Lord through Paul. And notice with me in Philippians 2 and verse 25. He says this, yet I suppose it necessary to send to you, Philippians 2.25, Epaphroditus. There's the fellow's name, Epaphroditus. And notice the three titles again that Paul bestows upon this man. He says, my brother, number one. Number two, he says, and companion in labor. And thirdly, fellow soldier. But your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. Look at verse 29. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. Notice the reason why. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. The man's name is Epaphroditus. Paul calls him a fellow brother. He refers to him as a fellow laborer. And he also calls him a fellow soldier. The thought I have for you, I guess I could put it in the form of a question. Are you of the household of Epaphroditus? Could it be said that you are of the household of Epaphroditus? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you tonight for the privilege to be in your house, to be with your people. Lord, as we come to you, we ask in your son's name, you would help us set aside the cares and the concerns and those things that would draw our attention away from thee. I pray, Father, you cleanse us of any sin that would, uh, Father, grieve your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that your son would have a very chief seat. In this house, we call your house the house of God, but in our hearts as well. Lord, as we consider Epaphroditus, your desire for us to learn from his life, I pray tonight you'd use him to challenge us in the area of serving and laboring for thee. Help us not to be hearers only tonight, deceiving ourselves, but by your grace to be doers of thy word. We commit our time to you. We commit this thought to you. Use it in our lives, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The household of Epaphroditus. I noted this morning that the first title Paul bestowed upon this man was a very amazing title when you considered who these two men were and where they came from. They were literally polar opposites, Paul, an ultra-Orthodox Jew, Epaphroditus, nothing but a pagan Gentile. And I reminded you that men like these for centuries really had nothing in common. They could have referred to themselves as enemies. They could have easily referred to themselves as adversaries, but certainly never, never, never would they have said, my brother. But along in time, their paths crossed with Jesus Christ, and when that occurred, they not only made peace with God, but suddenly they had a common bond with one another, and that bond was the person of Jesus Christ. I noted that when Jesus Christ came, he changed two things. He gave this entire universe equal access to God. 
But second of all, he gave every one of us the opportunity through Christ to have common fellowship with one another. And I noted it was a unique relationship. And Brother Max, I see I didn't scare you off entirely. If you could come up here. You're wide and awake and alert and ready to roll, right? Amen. More hair than I saw last time I was through, brother. Amen. And I use Brother Max as kind of the, the visual, you know, object lessons. Object lessons are good. They kind of sit there in your mind. And I said, Max and I are very opposite in many ways. Personalities are very different. We have a huge generation gap between us. There's backgrounds that are different. I was military. He couldn't even make the Cub Scouts. Couldn't even make the Cub Scouts. I mean, there are a lot of differences between Max and I. But one day, his path crossed with Jesus Christ. He saw his need for the Savior and his need for forgiveness. And he knelt at that cross, if you will, figuratively, traded his sin for the Savior and rose up a new creature in Jesus Christ. One day as an 18-year-old Marine, I saw my need for a Savior. This self-righteous, all-American boy from Minnesota humbled himself and saw his need to be saved. And when I did and trusted Christ as my Savior, I likewise rose up a new creature in Jesus Christ. And for both of us, we have equal access to God. That's the vertical. But suddenly, where we had nothing in common, now we have someone big in common. His name is Jesus Christ. And as fellow brothers, we enjoy fellowship. And you remember what kind of relationship that was? That was a face-to-face relationship. Amen? Social communication. We have a common bond. His name is Jesus Christ. We're singing the same song. Sinners saved by grace. We're heading to the same place called heaven. Amen? And so this common salvation affects our relationship horizontally as well. But let me say this, God does not want you to just stay in that singular relationship with one another. As you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, you should add to that face-to-face relationship, fellow brothers and fellow sisters, a second relationship. Not replace, but add to. You and I should become fellow laborers. Amen? Fellow laborers. You say, well, what? how do we relate to each other as fellow laborers? As fellow brothers, we're face to face. Turn and look that way. But as fellow laborers, we're side by side. We're yoked together in the harness, plowing ground for our Savior. Amen? Fellow brothers are face to face. Fellow laborers, side by side, laboring together for the Lord. Thank you, Brother Max. Look with me in Matthew chapter 11 as we move into this thought. In Matthew chapter 11, Hunt, could you scamper another handout back to Pastor? He gave his away already and just scamper one back to him. Does everybody have the handout? Everybody has the handout other than those online? All right. Okay. Look at this in Matthew chapter 11. As we look at this second relationship, you and I should grow into this. This should become part of our Christian life, not just fellow brothers and fellow sisters enjoying fellowship, but we should also become fellow laborers serving together and laboring together for the Lord. I want to remind you, Matthew 11, none other than Jesus Christ in verse 28, makes it very clear that the Christian life is not yoke-free. The Christian life is not yoke-free. 
Look at what he says in verse 28 of Matthew 11. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Look up for just a moment. You know, the Savior makes an incredible promise. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Look at the promise, and I will give you what? Rest. Ah, the song is right. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Amen? You notice, I, you say, well, I've got incredible needs. I don't want you necessarily to come to me. I don't have the resources to lift them like Jesus can. Amen? You, know, I, you say, I've got problems. I know someone who's bigger than you and bigger than me. You ought to run to him. Amen? He invites the entire universe to come unto him. But watch this. Oftentimes, we don't read the next two verses. Notice in verse 28, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then look at what he says in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Ye shall find rest unto your souls. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice here, but oftentimes we just end with verse 28. Well, burdens get lifted when I come to Jesus. Amen. And I need to come to him because I need my load lightened. But you recognize that the Christian life is not yoke free? No. In fact, the day you get saved, you exchange the yoke of sin for the yoke of service. Amen. Yeah, you do. He says, you learn of me. My yoke compared to sin is very light. My yoke compared to your wickedness is extremely uh, an unburdened existence. Amen. And the truth be known, you couldn't serve him until you got saved. You're so full of self and so full, full of yourself. You couldn't get free of yourself to serve the Savior. It was all about you. So. As we begin this thought tonight, recognize the Christian life is not yoke-free. We exchange the yoke of sin for the Savior's yoke of service. Amen? Now go to Matthew 9. We were there this morning. Just another introductory thought before I get into the handout. But look with me in Matthew chapter 9. There's an incredible need for laborers tonight. In Matthew 9 and verse 37. In Matthew 9 and verse 37, Then saith he unto his disciples, that's Jesus Christ speaking to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, look at this, but the laborers are few. And then he goes on to say this, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth, what? Laborers into his harvest. Here in Matthew 9, we see there's an incredible need for laborers. And it's very clear to me, there's no shortage of harvest today. Amen? There's no shortage of decay. There's no shortage of broken homes tonight. Could I get an amen? There's no shortage of messed up relationships. There's no shortage of sin in America and all that's going on and, and, and things that you can't even repeat. There's no shortage of that. You know where the shortage is? Laborers to go out into the harvest. And notice Jesus never prayed for the harvest. He never prayed for the harvest. He prayed for laborers to go into the harvest. It's not the harvest's fault. Amen. 
And let me say this. You know, Christianity is fast becoming a spectator sport. Oh, yes, it is. I'll tell you, you go have a, have a gospel sing down south, man, half the town will show up. You have a work day, and there's a giant sucking sound as they go everywhere else but coming to work for the Lord. Amen? Y'all with me? You put on a fellowship meal, everybody happy to be there and chatter and eat. But boy, you call for a work day, and I'm telling you, I remember this moment happened in ministry up in Alaska. My pastor and I were talking in his office, Pastor Watson, and the phone rang. And so he said, excuse me, Brother Dave, I'm going to take the phone. And he began to talk to somebody. And it was very apparent, apparent to me in a very short amount of time as he spoke to them, that this was a family that had moved into the area. As I heard only one side of the conversation, you could hear him, and they obviously were doing something like this. What do you have for young families? What does your church have for families? What does your church have for teenagers? What does your church have for uh, you know young people? And You could hear that, and I, I guess I wasn't abiding in the Lord like I should have. I, I wasn't feeling super spiritual. I felt like taking a phone and saying, Hey, what do you have for us? Amen? I'm going to tell you something. There's no unemployment lines in the family of God. Amen? There's a work for all to do. And you and I need to recognize that the day you get saved, the Christian walk and the Christian life is not yoke-free. We exchange the yoke of sin for the yoke of service. Now let's look at three thoughts. Look at your handout. There's two sides to it. I want to look at side number one. I want to look at three principles of service tonight. Three principles of service that should guide you and govern you as a believer. Now I'm speaking online to those that are viewing as well as those here. If you've been saved, you've been washed in the blood, you've been born again, you're a new creation in Jesus Christ, this message is very clearly to you. If you have not been saved, you need to get that first message about the need to enter into fellowship with God and with His Son before any of this will make any sense. This message is very specifically for those of us that are saved. Let's look at three principles of service tonight. Laboring together and serving together for the Lord. Principle one, we find in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Now, the Lord in Matthew 20, in verse number 25, he's discussing a very weighty moment with his disciples. Matthew 20 and verse 25. Many of our verses will be in Matthew tonight. Matthew 20, verse 25, he's been discussing. If you read the synoptics, the other gospels, you'll find Jesus was discussing a very weighty moment, and it's, up, it's his upcoming death burial, and resurrection. It's the crucifixion. It's Calvary. It's why he came. And notice what's going on with his disciples in Matthew 20. They are bickering and arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, if that's not an independent Baptist, I'll eat my hat. I mean, here's this weighty moment, his passion, and they're arguing about who gets to be top gun in heaven. You know, crazy. Oh, man, so carnal and so shallow. He quiets his bickering little brood, and he teaches them the first lesson on laboring and serving for the Lord. Look at what it is in verse 25. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. 
Here it comes. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Wow. Here is the very first principle of serving and the very first principle that should guide and govern us in the area of service as believers. It's this. Fill this in. True greatness, according to our Savior, is not measured by how many serve you. But it is measured by how many you serve. Did you catch that? True greatness, according to our Savior, it's not measured by how many serve you. You know, corporate America measures greatness that way. Do you know, sadly, tonight, many politicians measure greatness that way. How many serve me and my desires and what I want to do? Y'all with me? I mean, that is fast becoming the American way. But the kingdom of heaven is different. It's not measured by how many serve you. True greatness, according to Jesus Christ, is measured by how many you serve. Why am I saying that tonight? Here's why. We're Christians in America. And America is not a nation of servants. All right, could I say that again? America is not a nation of servants. We expect to be served. We want good service or we're not given a good tip. Y'all with me? You want to find a nation that serves? Filipinos. They're servants. They are servants at heart. Y'all with me? They just naturally want to serve. They have a tender heart towards not America. We are here as Americans to be served. We aren't interested in serving. And we need to make this distinction right off the bat. We have allowed culture to mess up our Christianity. We look at greatness as how many are serving me. How many work for me. You know, how big am I based on how many are under me. And Jesus is saying, no, true grace. Greatness is measured by how many you serve, not how many serve you. And though America may not be a nation of servants, the kingdom of heaven is. Amen? That's the highest title you'll ever get, is servant of the Most High God. What an honor. What an honor. So principle number one, and we have to get our attitudes right here, or we're going to miss this and we'll be useless to the Lord, is we must recognize that true greatness is not measured by how many serve us, but instead it's measured by how many we serve. Principle number two we find in Galatians chapter 5. Go there with me. Galatians in chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And look with me in verse number 13. You keep Matthew because we're going to be coming back there. Galatians 5 and verse number 13, as we consider laboring and serving together uh, for the Lord here, we recognize the second principle, Galatians 5 and verse number 13. A beautiful three-part outline. I've never preached it. This verse is just the perfect three-point outline. Listen to it. It was an early memory verse of my Christianity. Galatians 5.13, for brethren... Notice he's talking to Christians. You've been called unto liberty. Jesus sets you free from sin and self. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. He didn't save you to sin. But by love serve one another. Isn't that good? So I'm going to say the verse again. 
Brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but instead by love serve one another. You say, well, what does that mean to me? Here's your second principles of service. You and I, are you ready for this? It's simple. We're saved to serve. Let's write that in there. That is the second principle of laboring and serving the Lord. You and I were saved to serve. You and I were saved to serve. Maybe if you're taking notes, you can add this. You and I were not saved to sit. You and I were not saved to sin. That's the context of Galatians 5.13. He didn't set you free so you can go serve sin. You and I were not saved to be served. Your and my salvation was the service we never deserved. And if that's all we get, that's more than we should have gotten. Amen? That's more than we deserved. You and I were saved to serve. I remember this moment in my ministry, probably about three, four years into the ministry. I still had a number of holes in the schedule. And as an evangelist, it's really commission only. You don't preach. You don't make anything. I don't do it for that. But I just recognize just the way it works. And so I'm happy with that. I have a high tolerance for risk. I'm happy every month not having any idea what's coming in. And uh, though we've made incredible commitments to missions and ministries, we just it's amazing to watch how the Lord does. It's a walk of faith. I'm not even going to. I could be here for hours telling you how the Lord has met our needs, and it's been amazing. But I remember we had some holes in the schedule, so we came into a whole missions conference down in Denver, Colorado. A very good pastor friend of mine, and it's a big one. It's a church planning home missions conference in Denver area, and probably about 250 men and ministries show up. And as church planners go out into America, they raise money for them. It's a three-day get-together. And so I found out about it. I knew about this, and I was told, listen, if you come, you, they'll have an area in the gymnasium where you can set up your display with other missionaries, other guys that you can make these pastors, 250 to 300 of them, aware of your ministry. So I'm thinking to myself, well, I've got some holes in the schedule. I need to get to that meeting and, uh, and get our ministry in front of these guys. So some of them will say, come on in, like to have you in. So I remember we showed up that morning. It was going to kick off that night, and I went to the gymnasium. Now, the first thing I did is I looked for the strategic location to put my ministry table. Because there are some places that are better than others. And where I put my ministry table was where the chow line formed, where all these preachers had to stand and go right past me to go ahead and get their breakfast, get their supper, get their lunch. This is exactly, if you're going to have an ambush, make this thing real, you know? And so I set it up right there. I said, man, they're going to have to walk literally two or three feet from me. This line's going to come right in, turn right at my table. I mean, they're going to come right at me and turn. I said, man, this is going to be good. And then I set up our Class A display. This Class A display rivals West Coast. I have banner. I've got moving video looping. I I mean, this was top shelf, like a Bible college would put up. Man, I set that up, you know, got it all ready. I thought, wow, look at that. I remember even at, at one point I stepped back into the gymnasium, and I just looked over all the displays, and man, our display popped. I said, this is going to be good. And so I'm standing by the display, you know, 
got some openings, got some meetings I need to book, got some holes to fill, you know. And uh, here they come. Man, the line forms up and here they come. They're coming right at me. They're going to turn here in a second. And I felt like the homeless person on the corner with a cardboard sign. They wouldn't make eye contact with me. They looked away. They were chatting with their buddies. I felt like the universal invisible evangelist. I remember going, what is going on? It was like the redheaded stepchild moment. It was like, I mean, I didn't exist. And I, I began to process this. I thought, what? What's going on? And as I begin to think about it over the next few hours, I, I remember coming to the conclusion, they didn't come here to see me. Man, these poor guys get their phone ringing off the hook every day, every week. Guys wanting to book meetings. I'm the last guy they want to see. Didn't hold that against them. I pastored at one time. My mind began to take the picture. They came here to get away from all that. They came here to meet their buddies. They came here to get recharged. They didn't come here to book meetings with evangelists and missionaries. Y'all with me? And so I remember as I processed all that, Brother Max, I was. I mean, I sat there, and this was my attitude for the first few hours. I mean, I was upset. I'm thinking to myself, do they know who I am? You know, you, you ever have those little pity parts? If they only knew who I was, I can't believe. I mean, two guys talked to me. They were other missionaries wondering why nobody was talking to them. Boy, I remember that. What a letdown. Nothing against the guys. I just needed to understand the dynamics. That's all there was. You understand what I'm saying, preacher? I'm not dissing the preachers. I was there. I remember those days. And then I thought, well now, what would be my mentor's response? His name was Gary Prisk. What would he do at a meeting like this? And I thought back. I said, I know what he'd do. He'd be looking around for that guy that was discouraged. He'd be looking for that guy sitting all by himself with his wife and runny-nosed kids. He, like me, had come to the meeting. He was a missionary trying to get things started, felt God's call in his life, and nobody was saying anything. They were just busy with each other. And he'd be looking for that guy to go and encourage him. I remember this. Remember that, hon? I turned to you. I said, hon, let's change some things. We went out into town. Went to a Walmart, started buying gift cards, $50 gift cards to restaurants, $50 gift card to Walmart, just bought $50, $25, $75 gift cards, locked on, loaded on the gift cards. And then as we came back, they were starting up that second meal. And as everybody prayed and the people began to sit down, I remember looking around, huge gymnasium, just huge, back full of people. And sure enough, man, there was a guy all by himself. You could see it. He's just discouraged. And I remember going over to him and I said, hey, how you doing? And the guy was like, Whoa, whoa, somebody's talking to me. You know, whoa. And I said, hey, how are you doing? He said, well, good. And, and I said, uh, what, what's your name? And he gave me his name. I said, are you a missionary? Well, I, I'm a missionary. I, I'm, I said, where are you heading? He said, I'm heading to New York City. Got a burden for this people group. I want to go to New York City. And, and we're just starting deputation. I said, is that right? Well, first of all, sis, here's a $50 gift card. You go buy whatever you want from Walmart for them kids. He had a couple of kids there. I said, just, just dote on them a little bit. I said, come with me, brother. I want to introduce you to somebody. And I took him over to the other side of, the, of the, the area there. I found a pastor friend of mine who I knew was interested in New York missions, getting up into that area. And I took him over. I said, hey, preacher, this is missionary so-and-so. And brother, this is uh, pastor so-and-so. He's got a heart for that area. And I just 
introduced them. And then I started looking for somebody else. And I'm going to tell you, for the next two and a half days, we just gave out gift cards. We just went ahead and put an arm around people, prayed with them, encouraged them, hooked them up with other preachers, changed my whole attitude for those things. I will never go to one of those again to get. I only go to those now to give. Changed my attitude. Lightened my load. Gave me joy I'd have never gotten if I was just there to get. You know what I'm saying? And man, I'll tell you, it was an eye-opening moment. You know, you could be here tonight, right now. You could be watching online and say, but you have no idea. You don't know how, how, how badly I'm hurting. I understand that. But never forget, there's somebody else out there that has needs too besides you. You say, well, but, but I have this problem. You know, one, one person said it so well. I was fussing because I had no shoes. And then I met the man who had no feet. You and I need to recognize, if there's two lines up here right now, one line says, wanting to be served. And the other line says, wanting to serve. And we just went ahead and said, hey, come on. Get in the line that you want to be a part of. You do, you want to be served or you want to serve? I wonder what line you'd go for. I wonder where you'd stand. Amen? Let me just tell you, in America and American Christianity, the short line is wanting to serve. The long line is wanting to be served. And here's the problem. Here's the problem. If you and I come to this assembly... If we go out into that world, wherever you go, and you have the attitude, I want to be served. If we all come with that attitude, we'll bust the bank. We'll implode this whole thing, man. It ain't going to go anywhere because we don't have those resources to make it happen for all of us. But if you say, I'm coming to serve, there's always room for that. Amen? Even tonight, how I many of you put an arm around somebody who's hurting and just said, I want you to know I love you, and I'm praying for you? How many of you just crossed the aisle just to go ahead and encourage somebody on the other side? Man, we can get so self-absorbed. We lose the joy of Christianity because we lose the joy of serving. Amen? Oh, this principle is a big one. You and I, we're saved to serve. Teenagers say, well, what can I do? Go mow somebody's lawn. Amen? Some elderly ladies, she can't get that done. You'll go mow their lawn. Amen? Caroling comes along around Christmas time. You go ahead and get out there and carol for the, for the community. Go out there and carol to some of these folks. Y'all with me? I'm just telling you, we all got a pile of need. And, but the biggest thing is we shouldn't be looking for that. We should be looking to see what we can do for someone else rather than what they can do for us. Amen? Amen? You and I. We're saved to serve. Try it sometime. Try it. It'll put joy back into your Christianity. It'll completely change. It will completely change it. It will. And praise the Lord for men like Gary Priest that were that visible example that I could look to as I struggled at that moment in some ways of my own selfishness. Principle one, true greatness, according to our Savior, is not measured by how many serve you, but it is measured by how many you serve. Principle number two, you and I were saved to serve. But principle three, let's go there, Matthew chapter 20, is to me the most challenging one. This is the most challenging one, and yet it's the most simple. Look at what's said in Matthew 20, Jesus Christ, again, 
Look with me in verse 25. We'll just run through these four verses. And we find principle number three tucked away in these four verses. Look at what's said in Matthew 20, verse 25. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be, here's a big one. What's that next word? Let him be what? Your minister. Notice that's not a vertical. That's a horizontal. That's to another person. Let him be your minister. And watch this. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be, there it is again, your servant. Wow. Here's principle number three. It's a big one. This one gets me all the time. You cannot serve the Lord. You ready for this? <laughs> Without serving others. Wow. You cannot serve the Lord which is a vertical, without serving others, which is horizontal. Look at the proof text here. Look with me and write this down. Matthew 25. Look at this. Just write Matthew 25 down. Look at what Jesus Christ said here in Matthew 25 in verse number 35. Matthew 25, verse 30. Let's go to verse number 34. Matthew 25. Look at the proof text of this. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Matthew 25, 34, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Now this is the king talking. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Look at the response of the redeemed. Then shall the righteous answer him, say, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, and, and, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, and prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Wow. You know, principle three is probably for me the most challenging principle. Because it's simply this. You cannot serve the Lord without serving others. Do you know tonight you can sing to the Lord without singing with others? Do you know tonight you can worship the Lord without worshiping with others? You with me? You can do that. But you can't serve the Lord without serving others. It's a spiritual impossibility. And if that's true, and it is, how have you served the Lord today? Whose load did you lighten? Who did you take time to just care about and express concern? Y'all with me? You know, my children would speak of Gary Prisk in a very fond way. I remember asking my daughter, Robin, one time. It was as we were heading across for his funeral. He passed away 14 years ago. 
59 years old, just had his 59th birthday, one of the most gentle servant leaders you'd ever want to meet. And boy, was I a handful. I was a young single Marine in his church. I, I think I brought his early demise. I was just wound tight. And Brother Pris would always say, now, Brother Dave, kind of that pat, 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 you know. I was that ready, fire, aim kind of guy, you know. And he would, now, Brother Dave. But I remember asking the kids as we came across for his funeral. I don't know if you ever met Brother Prisk. I don't know if you're an amazing guy. But as we head into the funeral, I asked the kids, what do you remember about Brother Prisk? You know, this is what Robin said, and she caught it so well. She's my third daughter. She said, you know, Dad, when you talked to him, he held you with his eyes. And he became interested in you. That powerful. You know, teenagers know the real from the phony. It happens all. Teenagers got it figured out quick like. They figure out real quickly if you're real or not. Amen. They will, man. They, they will. And if there's a chink in your armor, they'll find it really fast. You know. But I thought to myself, wow, that's profound. You know, at the end of life, people won't always remember what you said, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. Amen. Isn't that true? It's true. I, it's so true. And I thought to myself, what was it she saw in that man? You know what? He was a servant at heart. He loved to serve. He just loved to serve. And he recognized service to the Lord was impossible without serving others for the Lord. I'll close with this. This moment hit me. I was the assistant pastor to church in, in, North, uh, in uh, Palmer, Alaska. And uh, I, was, I was the unpaid assistant. I had a, a full-time job. I had a business. And so I was really a lay minister, bivocational. But I remember we had a couple come to church, and they eventually got saved. Their names were Jack and Stephanie Bass. Jack was an, a retired Air Force guy. In his early years, he was rough. He was real rough before he joined the Air Force. He was a rod buster. That means he worked metal and rebar and steel buildings down in Texas. He was a Texas boy. And I remember after Jack got saved, he told me when he was lost how wicked he was. A biker, tats, the whole works. He said, my goal when I was a young man was to mess up the preacher's daughter. And he said, and I did. And then he started weeping. He said, she's never recovered from my influence boy jack became a dear friend of ours love the lord stephanie what a hoot man became a great friend of ours jack and stephanie their two daughters came good friends with our daughters and i remember jack was one of them fellas just that old southern drawl from texas just a practical guy Jack had two coveralls. He had two sets of coveralls after he retired out of the air force one was home and work the other was church he wore coveralls at church, just man's man. That was Jack. You couldn't get him into a tie. You couldn't get him in shirt unless somebody died. You know, Jack was a coverall man. But he had the clean set for church, and he'd show up spiffed up, his hair done, just ready to roll. But I remember a few months into their salvation, Deb and I were discipling them. We were spending time with them. And one Sunday night, Jack didn't show up to church, and I didn't think much of it. You know, just probably wasn't feeling well, so I never even asked, just... Uh, we went about the service, but Wednesday night came and Jack didn't show up again. And Stephanie was there with the girls. And so I, after the church service, I came over to Steph and I said, hey, sis, I said, what's up with brother Jack? 
I said, I, I missed him Sunday night. I missed him tonight. And she kind of got that little gut shot look, you know, looked down a little. And she said, well, Brother Dave, pray for him. He, uh, he's behind in wood for the winter. Winter's coming early this year. This was Alaska. And they, all their heat was wood heat in their house. And he just doesn't feel like he's got enough wood. And so for the next two, three weeks, he's just he's going to skip out of church for those two, three weeks and just cut the wood and catch up and make sure he's got enough. And I know he shouldn't, but Brother Dave, he's the man. He's the man. So just pray for him. Well, you know, I've been around long enough to know how habits get developed. And here's a couple that just got saved a few weeks, maybe two months earlier. And, uh, man, my radar went up. I said, man, that's not good. We, we don't want this to become the habit, you know. So I began to pray how to deal with that. It's been so easy to preach. Sure would have been easy to get on the phone and tell them, hey, Bible says don't forsake any assembling yourself together. You know, I had Bible verses all over the place, but the Spirit of God put his finger on me. He just held me, and he said, I want you to do something else. So Saturday morning came, set the alarm for 6.30, zero dark 30, we call it. Alarm fired off, got up, read a few Bible verses, spent a little time in prayer, and then I went ahead and grabbed my steel chainsaw and put it in the back of the pickup truck. Grabbed my bar oil, grabbed the mix. I had a Ford pickup truck, farm boy. Every farm boy had one of them. I was in Alaska, but I had a, a pickup. Fire, got everything in there, and I drove that half hour or so over to Jack's house. I remember pulling up about quarter to eight, and as I got out of the vehicle and rapped on the door, old Jack showed up in his overalls, and he said, well, Brother Dave, what y'all doing here? I said, well, I said, I've been missing you at church. I heard you were... You're behind on your wood, and I figure I'd come in and make a day of it and try to do the best I can to help you catch up a little bit. We went ahead, grabbed a cup of coffee, put our leather gloves on, and for the next 10 hours, 11 hours, we dropped trees and limbed them, sliced them up, split them, dropped trees, limbed them, took a 20-minute break, ate some lunch. About 7 o'clock that night, Went ahead and finished her up. I said, well, Brother Jack, I had a good time with you today. Love you, brother. Hope this was a help. Never said one Bible verse. Never scolded him for missing the house of God. Just came in. Put my shoulder to it. Just was a servant. That man has not missed a church service for 30 years. People really don't give a rip how much you know. They don't care how much you know. They really don't. Most people don't care how much you know until they first know how much you care. And isn't that what got our heart with our Savior? It was not what he said. It's what he did to prove his love. He humbled himself and took upon him the form of a servant and became obedient unto Death, even the death of the cross. You see, if you read Matthew, it says, let him be your minister, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and serve. This chief shepherd got our hearts because he was a chief servant 
And I want to ask you tonight, are you a servant? As we look at this, these principles of service, would Jesus call you great because of how many you serve? Would someone say, man, that guy was saved to serve. Look at him. He has been set free from his selfish spirit, and he can't wait to help someone else. She has been set free from her obsessive, selfish spirit, and she gets joy out of serving others, not self. Would people say that? And would they say, you know, there's no doubt they care about me because they love to serve. Fellow brothers, fellow sisters, I love the face-to-face. I do. I enjoy fellowshipping. I love to hear your story. You give me half a chance, I'm going to ask you, tell me about the day you got saved. I love to hear it. I love to hear that story. I love to revel in what my Savior did for you. But you know, there's a sweetness and a higher level that you can enjoy with believers when you become a fellow laborer. When you purpose in your heart, your high calling is not to be served. Your high calling is to serve. That's a joy money will never buy. It's who our Savior is at heart. Amen. Fellow brothers, sisters, face-to-face, fellow laborers and servants, side by side for one another and for the Lord. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.